Hello, and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host the second Monday of each month. Today, we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease. According to the United States Center for Disease Control, it's currently estimated that about 1 to 1.3 million people suffer from inflammatory bowel disease. Known as IBD, this disease involves chronic inflammation of all or part of the digestive tract. IBD primarily includes ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, potentially debilitating conditions. Irritable bowel syndrome is also a chronic digestive condition that affects the digestive tract and is often recognized or untreated with as few as 25% of IBS sufferers seeking professional care. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Edith Vickers on this topic. Dr. Edie Vickers is a naturopathic physician and licensed acupuncturist and director of the Anhau Natural Health Clinic in Northwest Portland. Her, fo- her practice focuses on women's health, immune disorders, cancer, and chronic disease. Dr. Vickers utilizes acupuncture, Chinese herbs, hydrotherapy, injection therapy, diet, and nutritional supplementation to assist her patients in achieving better health and balance. She holds degrees from the University of Toronto, the National College of Naturopathic Medicine under the National University of Natural Medicine, and the Oregon College of Oriental Medicine. In addition to her longtime practice, she's also an educator, teaching Chinese medicine students, and as an, an NUNM supervising physician to naturopathic and Chinese medicine interns. This coming weekend, she will be moderating a panel on research and remedies, a multidisciplinary look at gut health and inflammation-related conditions, as well as teaching a workshop on how to make bitters. This will take place on October 15th at the Gut Instinct Conference, which will take place at the Ceremone House in Northeast Portland. Dr. Edie Vickers, welcome to Health Watch. Thanks for having me. Well, would you start telling our start by telling our listeners the distinct difference between inflammatory bowel disease and irritable irritable bowel syndrome? Sure. Well, as you said, um, inflammatory bowel disease is a chronic inflammation of all or part of the digestive system. So, with ulcerative colitis, the inflammation, which is longstanding, um, tends to cause ulcers, and it tends to be in the innermost lining of the large intestine and rectum. Um, It appears in a continuous inflamed pattern, and it tends to give you symptoms like diarrhea, multiple bowel movements up to 20 a day, bowel movements at night that wake you up in the middle of the night. There's usually blood and mucus in the stool. There's lots of pain, and there's usually weight loss. Crohn's disease, on the other hand, um, is, is also an inflammatory disease of the gut lining, but it can affect any part of your large, of your um, GI tract from your mouth to your anus. It's more commonly found at the distal part of your small intestine, um, right near the ileocecal valve. This can be um, more systemic, so you can have irritation of your eyes and iritis, you can have skin problems, you can have joint problems, um, you can have constipation or diarrhea with Crohn's disease. And because the lesions can be deeper within the gut mucosa, you can get fistulous tracking, which can cause life-threatening illness. Um, this um, disease is also can lead to um, colon cancer or more serious things. So the inflammatory bowel disease is really just located in the large intestine? 
it's in the large intestine for ulcerative colitis, but mm-hmm. it can be in your stomach or your mouth, um, in your small intestine for Crohn's disease. So right. anywhere throughout the GI tract, yes. So what what role does the, can you talk about the microbiome and, and tell our listeners what that is and what role the health of the microbiome has to do with the, with the development of IBS and or IBD? Okay, so the microbiome is a collection of microbes or microorganisms that inhabit an environment, um, creating basically a mini ecology. In the human microbiome, there's a communities of symbiotic bacteria, so those that help us um, have a mutually beneficial relationship. There's commensal bacteria, those that bacteria are just along for the ride. They don't really do much for us, or we don't know what they do for us. And then there's pathogenic bacteria, and these are the ones that can cause us harm. They can cause disease. And also, part of that microbiome are the fungi and the viruses. So all of this make up um, our microbiome in our human bodies. It's said that for every one cell of ours, there's 10 cells of microbial cells. So are we really human or are we more <laughs> bacteria? Um, so the other interesting thing is that depending where we are in our body, so our gut microbiota is different from our oral microbiota, is different from um, the bacteria on our right hand, is different from the bacteria on our left hand. I find that fascinating. So how this pertains to um, IBD is researchers are looking into this to see is it really, there's definitely a difference between the microbiome of patients with IBD and those without IBD. So the patients with IBD have a reduced bacterial diversity. Um, So they're trying to figure out whether the diversity, the decreased diversity is due to the inflammation of the IBD, or does the reduced diversity cause the inflammation? And of course, that's important because if it causes the inflammation, then we can maybe affect a cure by trying to reinstate normal gut flora with those um, with IBD. We don't know this yet, but ongoing research is happening right now. In terms of IBS, um, it's th- the theory is that abnormal. Um, microbial composition activates a part of your immune system in your gut. And this causes an increased gut permeability. So we malabsorb our nutrients and we get, um, we can get vitamin deficient and protein deficient. And this causes an inflammatory response. And this causes a pain response. So we can get symptoms such as abdominal bloating and gas. We can get abdominal pain. We can get diarrhea or constipation. So what we know is with IBS, there's an overall lower microbiome diversity in people with IBS. So what basically what we know is that if you have IBS or IBD, you have less diversity of your microbiome. So there's a lot. You know, there, it's kind of in the news microbiome. You know, there's a lot of books been written about it. And um, I don't know if your patients come into your office and they go, well, I eat yogurt, you know. Um, and, <laughs> yes. and we say, well, I don't really think that's enough. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are the steps that people can take to, um, on, in a general way, to create a healthier microbiome? Well, I think eating yogurt is good. And, you know, not all yogurt is the same. So there's the home-cooked yogurt that you cook for, you know, many hours that is said to have much more biodiversity. Then um, there's the 
yogurt that has actual probiotic strains in it, and then there's a yogurt that really doesn't have any probiotic strains. So the type of yogurt matters. There's kombucha, which is the new hip thing in Portland, brewing your own kombucha. I have three brewing right now at home. And um, depending on whether you have a June kombucha, which is a green tea starter, or a SCOBY, which is a black tea starter, you have um, different bacteria, right? So um, that are populating that kombucha and, and populating your flora. You have fermented veggies, kimchi, um, sauerkraut. You know, it's fall. We're make, all of us are making sauerkraut right now, and that creates um, more um, beneficial bacteria to populate our gut. So that's the kind of the gut piece, just eating healthy. But there's do we chew enough to digest our food? Do we um, have enough digestive enzymes? Do we need to take bitters or do we need to take a digestive enzyme to help digest our food so that we don't get an overgrowth of bacteria that then cause gas and bloating and malabsorption? There's how do we clean our skin? How, what What is our environment like? There are the studies of children um, from the country uh, versus children from in the city where that have more exposure in the country to bacteria and um, bugs. Yes, yeah, dirt. <laughs> Whereas city kids do not. And so their immune systems are a little stronger. So with my grandkids, I had them out in my organic garden eating fruit and veggies right off the vine and hopefully getting a little of that dirt to improve their immune system. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but there's the thing of okay, if we if people eat sauerkraut and kombucha or you know and good yogurt, it's also from a naturopathic point of view, right? You have to remove those obstacles to cure, right? Absolutely. So those things that get in the way of a healthy microbiome would be, well, obviously the obvious is taking antibiotics, um, not having enough digestive enzymes. Um, taking some herbs or some um, uh, other medicines, um, having an illness. So there's um, different, if you've had abdominal um, surgery, so sometimes scar tissue impacts the uh, motility of your gut. Um, sometimes stress, you know, definitely stress, higher cortisol levels and um, affect the way that our bowel moves and functions and how we secrete our enzymes. Um uh, whether we exercise or not, whether we sleep or not. I mean, it's lifestyle, it's diet, right. it's um, stress reaction. Yeah. yeah, it's the whole thing. It's the picture. whole thing. Yes, it isn't, it isn't as simple as I'm just going to eat my yogurt and drink my kombucha and I'm a healthy person. Don't I wish, but not so much. <laughs> I know. I bet everybody does wish that. So it, it seems to be, I mean, I know I see it in our clinic. I know you see this in your clinic. Well, doesn't there seem to be like a rising kind of complexity to the cases in, in gastrointestinal issues? Um, well, where do you start? Uh, where do you start with people as a naturopathic physician and Chinese medicine practitioner? I think you start, you have to look at the person, right? You have to take a really detailed history. What's fascinating to me is I can ask someone, um, How's your digestion? Fine. Do you have bowel movements? Yes. And then I say, well, how many bowel movements do you have and how often? And they'll say, I have one, maybe two a month. And I'll say, okay. So, and, you, and that's normal for you? Yeah, that's normal. That's been true my whole life. So that's normal for them. So you have to, you have to really take a detailed 
um, history to find out really what's happening for the individual. And um, for me, one to two times a month and having a bowel movement is not as normal as we want it to be. It would be more like one to two times a day would be more normal. So um, looking for patterns. Do you eat? Do you eat standing up? Do you eat on the run? Do you um, eat three meals a day? Do you eat six meals a day? Our um, peristalsis in our gut, the migratory motor complex, needs a four-hour window to basically swish all of that food and nutrition through our small intestine into our large intestine um, to be the most effective. And if we eat continually throughout the day, it's not getting a chance to kind of move that Um, nutrition through our digestive system. So sometimes people with low blood sugar feel like they need to eat many different times in the day, but they're having gas and bloating and problems with um, congestion in their belly. And really what they need to do is they need to eat more protein and good fat to help sustain them and less sugar. And then um, their belly and bloating will go down because they're Um, digestive peristalsis will improve. I mean, that's simplistic. It isn't simple. You have to really listen to the patient. You have to look at lifestyle. You have to look at habits. You have to look at food. We're for myself, I like to eat the same thing every day. Get up, have a smoothie. I know what's going to be in it. You know, I eat salad with a piece of meat or fish on it, usually for lunch and dinner. But we really need to rotate our foods. We can't eat the same thing. So looking at patterns, looking at habits, and trying to suggest things that may lead us to um, something that may be beneficial and help. Mm-hmm. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Dr. Edie Vickers, director of the Onhau Natural Health Clinic in Northwest Portland on inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. So you talked a lot about this. um, It seems like there's this regularity and rhythm that also, when we look at stress and the role that that plays in gut health, that that really is important. And that's something that most people in modern life have kind of forsaken, not of their own choice, perhaps, but just because life is that way this day, it's kind of 24-7. So, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> so this 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 um, notion of rhythm and, and, and sequencing, you know, doing things in a, in a regular way, just for our listeners' clarity, this really has a huge impact on our health, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So even though it's complex... Simply stated, when we start to change our lifestyle habits, it has a huge impact on our nervous system and our digestive health. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many patients will say, I didn't realize it was this simple. Right. To feel, and I didn't realize I felt bad, but now I feel better. Mm -hmm. And really, as a naturopathic physician, you're giving them the tools and the skills and the resources to manage their own health. Absolutely. It's a, it's teamwork. I'm just there as kind of the health coach, trying and, and with my knowledge and experience, trying to look at places where they might tweak um, their diet or their sleep patterns or their stress patterns and encourage them to exercise a little bit more, maybe have, you know, one less cappuccino and one less um, sugary donut um, and, you know, replace that or a little more protein. So if they're going to eat that, then have a little more protein to kind of offset that. Um, look at whether they need digestive enzymes or stimulating their digestion to actually absorb, to digest and absorb what they're eating. I mean, it, it is it is simple. It is it it can be, and not not for everyone, but it can be. It can be, and by looking really at getting at the root of yes, the root, the root. 
And then, and then using the tools. So sometimes it's just diet and changing your diet. And sometimes it's changing when and where you, what you eat. Sometimes it's stress modification, adding in meditation, yoga, exercise. Sometimes we need to use acupuncture or herbs. Sometimes um, we need to do visceral manipulation. Sometimes I refer to the GI doc because they are more expert in terms of all of the allopathic medicines that they need. And so, and usually it's a combination like with IBD of of the two together. I mean, the two together are great. So really working with conventional medical professionals and integrating the naturopathic and Chinese medicine into their treatment plan. Yes. Every GI clinic should have an NDLAC in their office, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. For the patients. For the, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about the role of acupuncture in the treatment, because I think people really associate acupuncture as just pain relief. And, you know, it's, it's deeper effect on, on health. Absolutely. I had a patient this morning who came in who's going through finished SIBO treatment and is still having some problems with um, uh, gut regularity and, and SIBO pain. Tre- SIBO treatment is small well, intestinal. intestine bacterial overgrowth. Yes. And um, so I, I, she emailed me last night. I emailed her back and said, come on in this morning for a treatment. And I mean, acupuncture can be, it does work with abdominal pain. It does work to decrease stress. I mean, ear acupuncture increases our endorphins. It kind of takes the stress off, puts your body at rest. It's a great adjunct to a body treatment. I did um, a a belly treatment, which decreases, in her case, she was having spasm in her belly. So it decreases spasm, normalize digestion. It has an effect on our hormones. It has an effect on our cortisol output. Much more than just pain relief. Right. And when you talk about the belly treatment and visceral manipulation, just for our listeners to understand what that is, because a lot of people don't get touched on their belly. And it's a, it's a really powerful thing to, At, to give a treatment there. Absolutely. So um, there are many different forms of belly manipulation. So the DOs do um, DO adjusting of the organs. And those and, are the osteopathic doctors. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> and um, the what I've learned as a naturopath is how to Um, gently relax the diaphragm and adjust the stomach and adjust the ileocecal valve. So a lot of people that have um, issues with constipation, the junction between your small intestine and your large intestine, which is the ileocecal valve, excuse me, gets tight. And you can do, it's basically like a deep pressure right around the ileocecal valve um, that can cause, it's a muscle release, basically. So if you have a tightened muscle in your neck, you massage it. So we're basically massaging the ileocecal valve that then causes a release. And oftentimes people will have a bowel movement who haven't had one in days or weeks within hours after that. So if you can do that and teach someone how to do that, it's a way of managing their bowel motility. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. Um, if someone... You know, I think a lot of people, like you said, they go through feeling not well or they go through, you know, having bowel issues and and they just think, oh, you know, it's just the way it is. Right. Right. So if people like this, you know, after hearing this talk, um, if they suspect like they have something going on, what's the what's the one thing that you suggest they do? The first thing. Seek health. Help. Help. (laughs) Seek health, too. Seek seek help help for health. Yes. (laughs) Um, I think. So if you're, you know, if you've been going to your doctor, but you haven't really been explaining 
you know, they haven't been eliciting what's really going on with your digestion. If it's been a one word, how's your digestion? You say fine, normal, but it really isn't. Give more information. If you've been seeking a treatment and it hasn't been working for you, then look somewhere else. So if you've been seeing an MD, then try a naturopath or an acupuncturist. If you've been seeing a naturopath or an acupuncturist that hasn't been working, go see an MD. Try to um, explain more, seek, you know, seek more, seek more help for you. Right. And, you know, you talked about the role of the microbiome in the development of IBD and IBS. And and we kind of touched on, you know, the, the role of diet and stress. Could let can we talk about that a little bit more? Like what the contributory factors, because there really is a much larger group of people, it seems like, are having these these GI issues these days. Absolutely. Well, they know, research has shown that stress is considered a key factor in the development of IBS. So IBS, you know, they say that we acquire IBS as adolescents or mm-hmm. early adults. And I think that also is why people think it's normal, because they've had it since they were young. And it just is them. This, this is how their gut is, and it's normal for them. And stress, um, what happens in a stress response is that we secrete in cortisol from our adrenal gland. And people with IBS show an elevated response to cortisol. So they did a study where they took people with IBS and without IBS, and they put them through this very stressful test. And what they noticed, they measured cortisol before, during, and after. And what they noticed that people with IBS had a higher cortisol going into the test, a much higher response, cortisol response, stress response during the test, much longer time to come back to baseline, and then elevated post-baseline. So these continued stress responses, which don't have to be very stressful. I mean, right. it can be giving an interview, you know, it can, <laughs> it can be having someone over for dinner. It can be, mm-hmm. you know, forgetting your keys or, you know, little things that happen in life. Mm-hmm. So um, we know that also in IBD, that cortisol um, makes IBD worse. So when I talk to my patients with IBD and I ask about when did I be, you know, when did you first notice a change in your gut? I would say 95% of the patients, it's a stressful event. So I was getting a divorce. I was changing my do- job. Um, I was pregnant. I was, you know, it doesn't have to be negative stress. It can be positive stress too. And I think that's what people don't realize is that stress is stress, regardless of whether it's, an, you know, positive or negative. Um, so high stress is hard. So doing things in this busy, busy world, it's really important to do things that are stress relieving, exercise, meditation, breathing. How many of us deep breathe every day? And you know, I mean, breathe. That right now. (laughs) Everybody out there take a nice deep breath. (laughs) Um, So stress reduction works, mindfulness, meditation, um, yoga, Pilates. I mean, Et cetera, et cetera. Anything that kind of changes that stress response and kind of uh, infuses more endorphins into your yes. being because we don't get enough of that on a yes. day-to-day basis. Yes. And also even just um, going back to this idea of rhythm, we know how important that is in Chinese medicine, um, you know, how we look at life yes. and, and the rhythm of your day. Is there a rhythm, right? Yes. So. And is it and is it um, put forth by your body or by external circumstances? Mm-hmm. And I think what patients will say, I always ask the question, how is your gut during your normal work week? 
And how is it when you're on vacation? And how is it on the weekend? So how does it change? And it's interesting, the answers. Some people actually do well in a very structured environment, like their work week, even though there's stressors included. And they do worse on vacation because there is no structure to vacation. And other people, it's the reverse. So it's, you know, it's very individual. I think that you make a really good point because, you know, people have this um, notion that they have to be a certain way, (laughs) right? Yeah. And it's more important to understand your way. Right. Absolutely. This is individual. And so you can hear from your friend or your mother or your sister what works for them, but you really have to find out what works for you. Exactly. So um, going back to IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, just that relationship, the IBS and the IBD, they can occur concurrently or does there a role there that they play? So um, we... According to current research, we don't think that IBS leads to IBD. Mm -hmm. You can have IBS-like symptoms like SIBO, the small intestine bacterial overgrowth. You can actually have SIBO symptoms in IBS and in IBD. But um, And that's good to know and get tested for because if you can eliminate that, that's something that you can eliminate, treat and eliminate, and you can feel less symptom, less symptoms. But in terms of IBS leading to IBD, no. IBS is really a syndrome, whereas IBD is a disease. And IBS does not lead to an increase in colon cancer, where IBD does. Right, but more the Crohn's than the ulcerative colitis. Yes. Right. So um, are there, I, there was a study done um, in 1998. It was published by um, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it, it, it stated that Chinese herbal formulations actually appeared to offer improvement for some symptoms in patients with IBS. Yes. Can you talk, yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? So the interesting thing about, so yes, herbs are very good for IBS, Um And the interesting thing about that study was there were three arms. One was a specific formula to the individual. One was a patent medicine, so a pre-made medicine given just for IBS. And then the other was a placebo. And both the individualized arm and and the patent arm fared better than the placebo arm. So that was curious because me as an herbalist always thinks that an individual formula would be better than a patent medicine. But in this study, that wasn't true. Um, So... So it is good. Um, Herbs can be good for IBS. And there's an ancient formula which is called um, peony and licorice combination. It's just those two herbs. And the indication, so that's been used for hundreds of years, and the indication for that formula is um, abdominal spasms, abdominal pain, and gut irregularity. And um, that formula has been used for hundreds of years basically to treat IBS. Now, er, there are many, many, many herbs that are used for IBS, and I think it's important to work with someone who knows and who is trained in the use of herbal formulas because that formula that I mentioned wouldn't be good for someone with high blood pressure because licorice can raise, over time, can raise your blood pressure. So you need to work with someone who has been trained and is licensed to um, prescribe these formulas. But herbs, yes, are a very big part of how I treat irritable bowel syndrome and IBD. Yeah, that's that's a r- really valuable for people to know, just that there are options for them in treatment. You know, I'd love to keep talking, but we're coming to a close, and I know that you're um, going to be speaking, and um, you can do this workshop on making bitters. Yes. <laughs> which it sounds like you really enjoy doing. I do. <laughs> and um, 
Dr. Edith Vickers is also going to be moderating a panel on research and remedies, a multidisciplinary look at gut health and inflammation-related conditions. And this is going to be happening at the Gut Instinct Conference this coming weekend, October 14th through 16th, at the Ceremone House in Northeast Alberta Arts District. And what is just briefly what that what is this conference um, going to be? So it's a group um, of 20 different doctors and laypersons speaking about the gut microbiome in many different factors and its effect on the whole person. So it's a great way to experience. I mean, it's really meant for the layperson to come and experience all the many ways that the microbiome impacts you. That's great. And if people want to uh, attend this conference, you can find complete details at ceremony, C-E-R-I-M-O-N house dot org slash gut instinct. And if you would like to attend the conference, um, they've offered KBOO listeners a special 25% off any ticket with the discount code KBOO. And Dr. Vickers, I know you have a very busy practice that is essentially closed, Yes, but you have a clinic and Mm -hmm. people can, if they want to find out more or come to your clinic, that they would find you at? Onhowclinic.org, A-N-H-A-O clinic.org. Well, Dr. Edie Vickers, thank you so much for being with us today on Health Watch. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you. Um, you can listen to Health Watch on kboo.org slash healthwatch. Tune in again next month on the second Monday of the month to listen to me again. And thank you very much. This is Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host.